Welcome to the Six Ways from Sunday podcast. My name is Ben and I'm your host. And today I've got Heather McKenzie as my guest over Zoom, who is in Edmonton right now. And Heather, we've been friends for quite a few years now. We go way back, but we haven't connected in a while. So it's great to, to see you on Zoom and to hear your voice again. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks. Nice to see you too, Ben. So today I thought we would talk a little bit about um, the season of Advent that we're in and how we how we're all doing as we're getting close to this uh, this Christmas holiday that's going to be pretty weird and different this year. And what triggered this for me and to reach out to you was uh, you've kind of been on my list of people I've wanted to reach out to and have on the show for a while anyway. But then just recently, I think last week, you posted something on Facebook around your own mental health and how you're coping and some of your coping strategies and tools. And so that's definitely something that I'd love to dive into a bit with you today. But to give you a bit of background and our listeners, if they haven't listened to the show before, uh, the Six Ways from Sunday podcast is really just a series of casual conversations with people who have really interesting human spirituality journeys and stories to share. And so we dive into some of the important and deep questions around being human. And that was important when we started this show a couple of years ago, but it's even more important this year, I think, as we're uh, getting further and further into this pandemic. And we've had a lot of, well, most of us have had a lot of change in our lives and change often brings on stress and um, growth and struggle. And, and so it's, an, it's a part of our lives where a lot of these bigger questions will often arise especially if we have a lot of downtime or a lot of isolation. <laughs> so you are someone who's really experienced a lot of that isolation. And I'm really curious how you've coped with that and, and what questions that's brought up for you. But maybe just take our audience back to March sure. and help us understand a little bit of how this pandemic rocked your world for you and Justin and the kids in Edmonton. Sure. Yeah. yeah, so, well, I guess we were watching um, the spread of the pandemic globally and we were becoming increasingly aware that it was it was coming here uh early on so we actually had a cruise booked uh to alaska we were supposed to leave from seattle and my brother aaron performs on cruises and we were going to go see him and this was the kids christmas present and so we'd given them this cruise for christmas and then January hit and I looked at Justin and I said, we have to cancel the cruise. It's going, it's going to get to Seattle soon. It was, I think, just landing in Seattle and Vancouver. I said, we can't be there because Justin is immunosuppressed and he has had a liver transplant. He's had his colon removed. He usually spends, I guess, three weekends or three weeks a year in the hospital anyways, just due to all of his other health complications. Wow. And there, there's just no way that he would survive if he got COVID. And so recognizing that he was not going to be on the lucky end of the spectrum uh, with the COVID, uh, we, we canceled the cruise and crushed the kids' spirits. And, um, and we thought maybe that would be as bad as it got, right? Well, it's going to get to the coast and then, you know, we'll just not be on the coast. Uh, but then it became quite apparent it was coming for Alberta. So we were watching closely and it, it got to Alberta and we started making a plan. We said, well, what are we going to do when it gets to Edmonton? Okay, well, when it gets to Edmonton, we have to... Justin will have to start working from home. You know, he can't be in the office building. 
And uh, I was fortunately working from home at that time, uh, doing my own thing anyways. So it wasn't a big deal for me. But sure enough, I guess it was a Friday night. We heard the first case was in Edmonton. And on the weekend, we went from having uh, extremely normal downtown. I don't know if it's normal in Bashaw, but normal in, in Edmonton. We, I mean, the, our lifestyle was such that we lived in a condominium high rise, a mid rise, um, 15 other kids in our building. The kids flowed freely between the six or seven units with kids. We walked everywhere. We interacted with people like hundreds of people on a daily basis wow. spent I spent most of my days in coffee shops um, doing my work which is mostly activism and politicking <laughs> and uh, and Justin you know spent his day bobbing between government offices like with hundreds and thousands of people in each of them running from meeting to meeting because he works for the GOA anyway so Friday case arrives in Edmonton we realize that we're at risk like if it's if it's already being clocked then we know there's way more in the community than they're actually recording because right. it's obvious at this time that we have no really not a really good method of tracking right and so we said okay justin has to start working from home so sunday comes and we have the kids swimming lessons which we do every sunday religiously and we said, okay, Justin should not go to swimming lessons because he might get it there. So I went with the kids to swimming lessons. We got home and we realized how flawed our plan was. Right. Because I looked at Justin and I said, if the kids and I just got COVID at swimming, we would have brought it home to you just now. And you yeah. wouldn't even know because I'm super healthy and youngish. Yeah. I'm 38 and the kids are super healthy you wouldn't even know we'd get you sick after swimming and you could die. And so Sunday night, the kids, we put them to bed. They think everything's normal. And we made the call to pull everything. We said, okay, if Justin's isolating, we're all isolating because he can't isolate alone. We're a family and we could, we could kill him easily. Um, very easily. Uh, so he can't operate alone. If we're living together, we have to operate as a unit. So Monday morning, the kids woke up late and they said, we're late for school. <laughs> and then we said, guess what? You're homeschooling now. <laughs> just Which like we that. Had, just like that. It was over the weekend. Everything changed. We shut down. We enrolled them in homeschooling. We were not expecting the city to shut down. We were thinking it was just going to be us and that we had to just shut down. And this and, is back in March, right? Yeah, this was right March. It was actually a week before everyone else did shut down. So it was kind of funny. We were basically a week ahead of everyone else. We assumed that we would be alone and that nobody else would be taking these precautions right. uh, because we felt that it was obvious that Justin was at high risk and we didn't expect that our society would care um, about other people like Justin getting COVID. We didn't have that assumption that anyone would that anyone else would care other than our family or were you um, like were you kind of thinking that this just wasn't going to be such a, a severe outbreak that it would be possible for society to just kind of carry on and yeah some people would get sick like you've been reading about um, in other countries <laughs> I just remember hearing these announcements back in March that um, I was actually in Manitoba uh, speaking at a college and yeah. uh, introducing a, a, like a screening a film to some students and while there, we uh, the person I was traveling with, a client, 
she got this email that her daughter's university was closing. Mm-hmm. And we kind of just like, we got, then we, we finished at the college, we boarded our flights. She flew back to Ottawa or uh, uh, Toronto and I flew uh, back home to Edmonton and drove back to Basha and felt like I had just kind of snuck through the system before the <laughs> whole thing all came. went down. Yeah, and, I, and from that point on, it was really, it was really sudden and, and fast. Yeah, like schools yeah. were closing, and then this was closing, and that was closing, and it was just boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Well, I think it was partially that I don't, partially, partially we didn't realize, uh, like how big an impact it would have uh, in general, and just uh, you know how how many people would get sick, uh, and how many people would die. But a big part of it was just, I mean, I'm born and raised in Alberta. I know our province quite well we generally outside of Edmonton in particular are fairly I don't want to call it I don't know what to say they're kind of this that libertarian perspective like you know everybody gets to, it's like a bit of a free-for-all right it's kind of wild west like we all kind of we like having our autonomy we don't like being told what to do and so with that cultural context it just never occurred to me that Alberta would be capable of shutting down uh, because we have no precedence for it. We had a UCP government that reminded me of Trump and I did not see the US shutting down. And so everything uh, around us sort of indicated to me that we would not take care with people's lives like Justin and that they would be seen as sort of collateral damage for the economy. And so I, I just didn't trust that our society would take that care with the elderly and with the immunosuppressed um, and I, yeah, I just hate to say that, but I didn't have that trust in our society. Mm-hmm. Um, so you took I, matters into your own hands as a family, yeah. shocked, shocked the kids, pulled them out yeah. of school. Yeah, we floored the kids. They were like, okay, we're homeschooling. And like, my son is super social like me. So he was like, oh my God, he cried. Um, my daughter, on the other hand, is quite introverted. So she was just overjoyed to be homeschooling. <laughs> yeah, how, old, how old are the two kids right now, Heather? She's nine and he's eight. Yeah. Okay. So we had... So- a bit of a shock that week and we so we alberta, took them we, oh sorry i was just gonna say so like big picture here alberta did manage to shut down we we uh we had a pretty strong uh response and, and plan right kind of in the beginning we got through the summer without too much trouble in fact we were already starting to go through our phase one and two of reopening alberta and getting restaurants and businesses kind of trying to think open things back things back up again and then fast forward to this last month or so, even though everyone was pretty careful and p- people started wearing masks and Edmonton and Calgary both passed these mask bylaws and people were pretty careful. People were caring about their neighbors. We were seeing some really inspiring examples of people showing appreciation for frontline workers and just society kind of came together, I suppose, is one way of saying it. And then what happened like <laughs> all of a sudden in november alberta just has this massive second wave yeah. right before christmas right so yeah. how, what i'm really curious about is even though the rest of us have been allowed to kind of get back to life after a brief shutdown in the spring mm-hmm. and then kind of get back to not normal certainly but our kids have been back in school yeah. um for the last few months you know we've We've been able to uh, see people somewhat in, in within our cohort in our bubble throughout the summer and fall. Meanwhile, you guys have been isolated. Yeah, yeah, really? we're going on ten months of basically full lockdown now 10 as months. a family. Yeah, and 
I know a lot of people say they're living isolated lives, but as I, <laughs> anytime I hear someone, I'm, I'm so desperate for, for friends, right? So whenever I hear someone online saying, oh, you know, we're so isolated, we don't see anyone. I, I actually sometimes reach out to them and I say, really, are you locked down? Like, are you, are you, are you actually, could you actually bubble with us? Like, are you so locked down? And I'll quiz them, right? I'll say, you know, so no, nobody's working outside the home. Nobody's going to school. You're not having anybody in your home ever. You're doing all your pickups via parking lot or curbside. And, and you're, you're only leaving the house for doctor's appointments. And, and they're like, Oh no, no, we're not doing that. That would be crazy. <laughs> and, you know? Um, and I'm like, Oh, okay. never mind. So I, you know, I, I get my hopes up on a regular basis that, you know, someone else out there, cause I have thousands of friends on Facebook and I keep thinking, well, somebody's surely living like us that we could hang out. <laughs> well, and there must be obviously lots of people who have health conditions like Justin's. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for many of them, they actually just don't have the luxury to do what we've done. Don't have a choice, right? They don't. Yeah. We are very privileged. Uh, we have not only jobs that we can work from home that many people who are immunosuppressed uh, don't, don't have that ability or luxury. We have kids who are okay. They're doing okay. Like they haven't, they haven't lost uh, their way. You know, they're they're still themselves. They're still. I mean, we would have had to really rethink our strategy if our kids were hurting badly. But they're mostly happy. They're mostly doing okay. And what's, so, what's been the key to that, Heather? Yeah, how, I think the key. Had... I mean, the key to keeping the kids happy. Um, Spend, I mean, they kids naturally want to spend time with their parents. So in many ways, the more time we can carve out for them, the better. Um, so at first, when I got my new job, I was working weekends. And this was actually really not... So I thought that would give me more time to do schoolwork with them, right? But they were super unhappy about that. They wanted to hang out as a whole family during the weekend. And they really wanted that time together. And so I've adjusted. And now... I mean, homeschooling is not as perfect. We don't get all our assignments done because I am working while they're homeschooling. We're not, you know, model homeschool parents. Um, but our kids are happy because they get all of our attention on the weekends and all of our attention after school. And they, they would rather that than have me on their case during the day when they're trying to get their work done. So, right. so we've had to be really responsive to them. We have to monitor their activity levels. We did buy them a trampoline where we actually came out to the suburbs. Um, I think I missed that part of the story. So we yeah. locked down. We locked down and I got a text from my brother. He so sweetly told me, in China, people are welding their apartment doors shut, Heather. You got to get out of your apartment. <laughs> and I was like, oh, dear God, they're welding the door shut. So and we we did have an old apartment with a shared uh, air exchange as well as shared um uh laundry and whatnot and one small elevator and we love that we love that it was so communal um but it, it did put justin at risk so my parents very sweetly swapped homes with us gave wow. us their their suburban house and uh they they've been in our apartment for 10 months and wow. um yeah they they really really went above and beyond they just we middle of the night friday after we locked down uh, one of our neighbors was coming home from international travel and we suddenly realized, oh my goodness, like 
it could be in the air any day because we knew at that point that there was some air transmission by um, the air. So we said we had to get out of this apartment like now. So my mom just like packed everything up and dad didn't even get to come home from work that night. He had to go to our apartment (laughs) and we swapped it. It was kind of wild. We thought it would just be six months, but it's been 10 and and growing. And so, yeah, so that was pretty dramatic. And the kids, but the kids, they do better here because if they are going to be alone, it's better if they're not surrounded by their friends who they can't see because that was really hard on all of us the first week, having all our friends all around us, like hundreds of them and not being able to even talk to them or see them. Right. It was just driving us bonkers. Oh, it'd be torture. Um, so, so being in the suburbs away from our friends is sad, but it also means you're not constantly tempted that mm. we don't have the temptation here to visit with our friends in the hallway. And so, so the house has been a, a help for the kids, um, reduce temptation, uh, they have a little bit more space here to play and to have a little bit of alone time when they want it. And we were able to get them a trampoline and do all those normal things, which is quite funny because Justin and I are just like hardcore urbanists. And so here we are doing this like extremely suburban lifestyle. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we're really, we've had to make some pretty big adjustments, but mostly to keep Justin healthy and to keep the kids happy. Yeah. And of course you do anything for those for those things that mean so much. Have, yeah. Has it been possible to spend a lot of time outdoors and get fresh air when, now that you're in the suburbs or now that it's winter, is that starting to be a little bit more challenging? Um, so it is a little easier here. Um, we still go outside every day for sure. We always go for walks. Um, when, when the playgrounds were shut down, that was a bit of a jarring experience for the kids because we used to spend at least two hours in the playground after school every day. Cause when you live downtown, you don't have a backyard. So after school, you just stay at the playground till 5 PM and then you go home and have dinner. And so that was our lifestyle. And suddenly we couldn't go to the playgrounds anywhere. (laughs) So we were actually really relieved when it was determined that playgrounds were actually still safe because at first everyone thought people were getting COVID by touching And once they realized it was mostly the air that was the primary issue, then they reopened the playgrounds and we were able to. At first, we were so nervous that we would only let them go after it rained. We would would be (laughs) be like, okay, you can go once it rains. And we'd go and we'd wipe down all the equipment and we would only go if there was nobody there. Still to this day, if there are other kids in the playground, we actually don't really go. Um, So we're very strategic. We time our playground runs. It's almost always like, after all the other kids are gone or when it's bloody cold out or when it's raining <laughs> and we do that actually for almost every activity. So we've been enjoying twice. We went to the botanical gardens and each time, well, the first time we strategically went when it was like really, the weather was terrible and so it was great because there's be there. no one else. There. Right. That's clever. So yeah. All of these are examples of how you have been having to rethink how you do life like right from like strip down to the frame and and build it back up even as far as move switching houses with your parents which who does that that's incredible and they're super nice (laughs) it's clearly clearly so obviously um this is no longer just a case of weathering the storm for a few weeks or a couple of months it's we're coming up on almost a year already who knows how much longer uh it will be before 
society can kind of reopen and get back to normal, um, let alone your family specifically, because let's face it, I mean, and you guys obviously would have a lot of conversation about this. What is the future going to look like for uh, someone who, a family who has a a family member with uh, immuno, uh, who's immunocompromised? when we know that this virus is still going to be here in some form for, for who knows how long. Quite a while. Yeah. We had to think about that early on. Like when does this end for us? Right. Um, So we decided early on that that would, would be when there was widespread vaccination. Uh, So we knew that would probably be um, a few years. And so we might be doing this for another year. Wow. Um, Yeah. So we, I mean, that was a a big decision. Uh, There are treatments that are helping. Um, And obviously, you know, I have a good friend who received some excellent treatment and she thought she was going to die the other day. Literally last week, she thought she was going to die, but she managed to survive um, largely because of the new treatments that are available now that wouldn't have been available 10 months ago. Wow. And so- It's incredible how fast things can be developed and fast-tracked. And this is, is a young, this is a young mom as well. And, um, and so she, but she also has many compromising health, uh, factors, but unlike us, unlike us, she can't work from home. Like she had to be out with her clients. It was a requirement of the courts. She's a lawyer. She was required to be with her witnesses. She had to be in person with her witnesses for three days and she got COVID and almost died. Wow. The courts, the courts required that of the lawyers. And we don't have that burden. We, we are so fortunate that Justin has been able to stay at home. And so anyways, but seeing someone like my friend survive, it, 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 it is comforting because it makes me think, well, maybe there'll be enough treatments if and when Justin gets it. The problem with Justin is if he gets to the point, like if he gets it, he doesn't, there's not much time. Like when Justin gets sick, we go from he's healthy to it's 8 PM at night. He's contract. He's got some kind of bug. And by eight in the morning, he's in the hospital for a week. So there's not, wow. we don't have time like other people do for treatments. Um, basically he goes from like zero to a hundred in less than four or five hours. And so that's just the way it is when you have no colon and you're immunosuppressed and it's a very rare sort of situation for him. So, so that's part of why the vaccine is so important for us. Like the treatments, they're comforting. They make me think, okay, there is a hope, right? There's some hope, but the vaccine is the most important for us because really he needs to not get it. (laughs) (laughs) It's that simple. It's that simple. So, so we are waiting. Um, we won't, we will be homeschooling until there's widespread vaccination. So our hope is that by next Christmas, maybe the kids could be going back to school because we know there might be widespread vaccination by then. I am hoping and praying that somehow Edmonton public schools would be permitted to require vaccination because at this point, I don't know if they are. But if they could, that would liberate us immensely. That would mean our kids could go back to school if vaccination was required. But if it's not, then I don't know what the future. It's such a tough one when the, when it's such a uh, highly debated. I mean, it, like just <clears throat> vaccines as a whole, not even just specifically the COVID vaccine. But there's there's enough resistance to well, I'm not I'm not getting that vaccine that 
I could see it being difficult for the government to mandate that. But these are, we keep hearing these are unprecedented times. Yeah. Even though this is not the first time that the human race has experienced a pandemic, there have been many before. So it's not really unprecedented, but in our lifetimes, it's very unprecedented. Yeah. Well, speaking of that second wave, I mean, anyone who studied previous pandemics, they were educating us early on. They said, there will be a second wave. It will be this fall and winter, get ready. And so we were reading all of that historical data and we knew that we couldn't lift our lockdown, even though everyone else was. We knew we couldn't because we had read that and and it it was true and um, it was anticipated. And I think a lot of people who were surprised by the fall and the rising cases just hadn't read the historical data. It it happened with the Spanish flu. The second wave killed way more people than the first wave. And everybody who studies this sort of thing was saying that this would happen. And we, we were listening. I don't know why nobody else seemed to hear that. <laughs> I'm like, why is this shocking to you people? <laughs> uh, it, and I remember it being out there, but I think people are so anxious yeah. to get back to the, 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 the power of denial and, yeah. and hope, I guess. Are kind of, I mean, they're very <laughs> different things, but you want to hope. So you, yeah. you look into denial, right? You want to have that hope that, well, maybe it won't be like that. Well, and until it personally impacts you, that's right. You kind of don't believe. Like, I I've now been sending dinner to my friend's house for a few weeks, and and while I've been trying to support her with her three kids, uh, you know, through this as as much as I can from a distance, um, you know, I actually had four other friends get COVID, and. So it's very real for me. I don't, I don't, mm. you know, I, I've actually two close encounters. We actually just bought a house because we realized we can't live in my parents' home forever. And we might need to be away from our apartment for a long time. So we bought a, a row house, which sort of meets our, <laughs> our, we have like sort of these hippie ideals, right? We want to live real high density and, you know, lowest impact on the environment possible. And yet we can't live in our high rise. So it, we've been in this sort of existential crisis. So we've, <laughs> we found kind of a happy medium, which is a, a net zero row house that we're moving into in January. And, um, and as part of that process, and you won't have a shared elevator, I'm guessing. No, exactly. We said we have to have our own entrance, our yeah. own laundry, but we still want to try and live high density and as green yeah. as possible and as That's central awesome. as possible. Cause we still really value um, central living and we don't want to spend two hours commuting a day when this is over. Right. right? So um, you're looking at the, long, the yeah. long view. Yeah. We really don't, we, we just really like that urban lifestyle and we don't want to lose all of that just yeah. because of health. But, um, but anyway, so uh, there was a lady who was supposed to get to put up blinds in our new place. And she said, Hey, do you want to meet so I can show you the blinds? Like I'll wear a mask. We can stay distant. And I said, and I, you know, every time this happens, I feel like so weird, right? I feel, I said, ah, could you just send me photos and I'll just pick. And <laughs> I, like, I, I'm just going to pick based on your photo recommendations. And, and she said, well, okay. Like, that's not really how she does it, but she did that. And I picked by a photo, the blinds. And I said, these look great. Like, I, I have no idea if they're going to look good or not. <laughs> I have to just not care because I'm not going to go see this random woman. 
Sure enough, I texted her yesterday. She's telling me oh, the blinds will be up next week. She said, thank God we didn't meet because two days after I texted you, I got COVID symptoms. Whoa. She would have given us COVID unknowingly, unmeaning, like she didn't mean, she wouldn't have meant to, she's just doing her thing. Yeah. She's just and trying to help us out. Didn't even have symptoms got- yet, but probably was carrying it already at that point. For yep. sure. And so wow. if I was just, if I was any less anal about this stuff, like I was super uptight, like I, like I, there's so the number of things I have had to like purchase and decisions I've had to make like sight unseen. <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, you just have to trust the system. I'm like, Oh, sure. Let's buy those winter boots for the kids. Spend 70 bucks. The winter boots are too small. Like, Oh my goodness. You know, this, this keeps happening. And it's just, it's one of the, the hidden costs of our new lifestyle is we just we end up so you know what my best friend is gonna have beautiful new winter boots for her daughter next year that my kid can't even wear and I just have to kind of deal with it like so uh, that makes me want to ask you Heather what has that taught you or changed within you as a human being in terms of life lessons or growth or how has that impacted impacted you yeah, I mean, I think a lot of those growth factors you might not see till way down the road. I'm hoping they're there <laughs> because mm. right now I feel like, you know, I, I'm still struggling to grow and to be to be the best I can. I have learned uh, that despite being a hardcore extrovert who likes to be out and about every day, that I am capable of living a quiet life. It is possible and it isn't the end of the world, you know, to have a quiet life. Um, and, and I sometimes actually enjoy it. Like there are days where someone is extroverted like me and as social and I'm always out activists being an actor. Like I'm all like, I love to go all the protests. Oh, it was so hard not to go to the BLM protests. It just like that stuff just drove me nuts. You know, we needed to act and I had to stay at home and, you know, make our little rah, rah signs. Yeah. Defund the police. I scream from suburbia where the bloody chopper is over my house every day, waking me up. And anyways, um, so I, you know, find these little ways to, to still rage against the machine, but I really have, have had to get comfortable with not being myself. And that's, you know, I've had to get, okay. I've had to say, okay, you know, suck it up. Like you, you can tolerate being a different person for a few years and and I just have to trust that in a few years time I can reclaim my identity and and try not to totally lose it so I, I have little ways of reminding myself that I am a, a global citizen you know I still try and go to my social justice team meetings I throw put a few hours in here and there to try and raise money for uh, AIDS orphans which is one of my big sort of shticks. I, I've been fundraising for a school in Zambia for like 16 years. And this year I couldn't run the big dinner that I usually do. And I couldn't work. I couldn't go to the Christmas sale where we usually fundraise money. And I, <laughs> so I, but I, you know what I said, look, you still care about these kids. I'm just going to spend the same amount of time sitting and emailing random people and just reminding them that these kids still exist and they still need their support and I can still do that. And it's not, it's not part of my identity to just sit and email people and ask them for money. Um, it's becoming part of my identity. I'm like, okay, usually I would do this in person. Usually I would go for coffee. Usually I'd run an event. Usually I would 
make this a social activity so we're friend raising and fundraising but instead i'm just gonna do the cold hard task of just telling someone hey look these kids are hurting you need to give them money end of story (laughs) there's no no fluff and stuff i can't do any of the fluff (laughs) and i just had to come to terms with that that i'm just I just have to operate at a different, in a different space, a space I'm not comfortable in. And, and I guess I, I trust that there's some growth with that discomfort and I don't know exactly what it'll be yet, but I hope to find out someday that this extremely uncomfortable, awkward phase where I'm having to be someone I'm not, um, is going to somehow show itself to have some beauty down the road. Mm. That's well said. I'm sure that it will have fruit. I'm sure that it's already having fruit more than you're probably realizing, Heather. And I think that what's cool is that with the age that your kids are right now, no doubt, it's just like you, we have an imp, we, we leave an imprint on our kids and we shape who they're becoming with, with the things that we model, right? And the thing, the examples that we set. And it takes years, it takes so much time to see the effects of that. Oh, they're, they're turning out like this. I guess that's because I'm like that, or my wife's like that, right? Or your husband is like, has this trait or this personality and, and you, you have an impact on them. But I think it also takes that, uh, those long spans of time to see the imprint that we have on ourselves too, the, the difference that we make on our own being and our own identity through our behaviors, through our actions, through our commitments and the, the, the little changes that we decide to make along the way that you're having to make that, um, out of your commitment to your family's safety, right? And your family's health. So speaking of your individual health and your mental health, specifically your spiritual well-being, I saw Mm -hmm. you post this list on Facebook of the, some of the things that you've been doing and maybe Mm -hmm. hopefully that inspired some other people to, um, either, you know, maybe copy some of the specific ideas that you suggested or shared and more importantly, to think about their own, right. And to think about, the things that for them and their unique personality, what helps them cope. Yeah, um, I find I you've find got that some great stuff in nothing this. Nothing new, really. <laughs> so, okay, so so this is all stuff you know about yourself. Yeah. There's a few questions I want to ask you. Um, first, to just kind of tell me all about it and and some of your favorite ones, but then also, <laughs> why do you think it's so hard to make ourselves do the things that we already know? we love and or are good for us (laughs) like yeah no it's important question I mean the the list is kind of dorky I I tried to dork it up I mean I I uh I think that people have to hear this exact message like a hundred times for it to sink in from a hundred different people so it's not like there's anything new there it's like go outside sit in a sunbeam I kind of like the sunbeam one because I think uh sometimes people figure oh I don't have time to get outside And so I encourage them to just sit in a sunbeam because if you're working, but you're working in a sunbeam, you'll be happier. (laughs) Or if, if you're depressed and you can't get out of bed, but you're in bed in a sunbeam, you'll be happier. (laughs) And so you'll get a little um, bit of vitamin D through the window. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you feel like a cat then you're like, Oh, I'm a cat. I'm just napping in the sunbeam. Yes. I can't get out of bed because I'm crying and depressed, but I'm just a cat. And (laughs) it's not so bad. And, uh, you know, it's, I don't know. I think people just have to hear these same messages over and over from so many different places. And so on the, I just posted on the off chance that somebody in my network might need to hear it from me. You never know if you're that person who needs to remind them 
of the sort of, I guess you call them self-care tips, but I mean, really just, you know, you need to go for a walk. You need to um, remember to eat healthy. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of people, it's not rocket science, but if you eat healthy for a week, you'll feel better. One of mine that I have to stop, like sometimes people like to bring us um, treats or they're showing their thoughtfulness by bringing us baked goods, but like baked goods are sort of my nemesis because I will eat them all. And then I will feel horrible. I will actually feel physically like horrible because it has drained me of all energy. Um, it, so, so I actually put in my list, like, don't eat, don't eat the, uh, <laughs> the baked goods. <laughs> and now for other people, they might actually find great joy in that and it might not make them feel horrible. So, you know, physically, um, other things like I don't, I don't drink coffee because when I drink coffee, I get a panic attack. And so, um, I actually, I accidentally uh, broke that tradition this fall. My mom had done a two-week quarantine so that she could come and stay with us for a few oh, nights. Nice. Yes, so sweet. And it happened to be Halloween, and it was just I was overjoyed, and I was feeling so good to have her in the house. And she was having coffee, and I thought, sure, I can have a coffee with my mom. She makes great coffee. <laughs> I'm doing great. I haven't had a panic attack in months. So sure enough, I had just a little coffee with mom, and I spent the afternoon in bed with a panic attack, crying, and I was like, oh, no, wow. <laughs> I can't have coffee. So, you know, sometimes you have to remind yourself of these little things, and, and for everyone, that might be a little different, but there are some things that are very similar, like, hey, you're feeling super depressed. You know what? You should get a therapist. <laughs> um, and uh, you, usually, you have health. Like a lot of people, therapy is within their their health coverage. If not, there are some free therapeutic services around as well. Um, right now, in particular, because everybody's mm. depressed. So, oh yeah, the, yeah. It's everywhere, the, the mental health care system. I mean, the, the healthcare system for sure is overburdened right now and we're seeing the hospitals are kind of busting at the seams but the the mental health care system and world is has never seen anything like this before in, no, in our time no, they're and just so busy my dad's yeah. a therapist and his co-workers oh. and he are all still very busy but they're all very sweetly zooming you know so I can zoom with my therapist and <laughs> it's very kind of her and the kids too I mean they we all we all go to therapy so you know we haven't actually for a little while we did a lot in the spring um and then we were feeling pretty good by the end of the summer so we've been taking a little therapy break um but you know what my son started having recurrent nightmares again this last week and so we said hey do you want to talk to your feelings doctor and he said yep so you know that's what that's so just, cool that you do that just yeah we just go ahead and book it it's just like if he's going to talk to his regular you know doctor hey yeah. oh you got an owie oh owie's not getting better after a week okay let's go see the doctor yeah. so we try and treat it really similarly well, uh, as it should be but for some weird reason our society has it as separate that you know yeah. someone falls and breaks their leg or twist an ankle and no one has judgment about that but you have a mental health concern or struggle and it's it's treated so differently and there's mm -hmm. so much yeah. so much uh, yeah stigma. judgment around that and stigma exactly yeah no i'm lucky because i come from a family of um people who 
are accustomed, like, A, my dad's a therapist, so you better not mental health bash, because that's the same as, like, bashing him. And so everybody's pretty open. And so even my aunts and uncles, like, in the spring, I, I took a deep dive. I really, um, I really wasn't functioning well in May and June, and it was bad. It was bad. Like, I was in bed crying most days. Justin was having to do everything. Oh man! So I mean, people people think, "Wow, oh, look at all this stuff Heather's doing for Justin." I'm like, "Oh God, if you knew how much he has to do to compensate." <laughs> Who's taking care of who here? Yeah, and like, okay, but you know, we're a team, right? And and the fact is, the changes we've made were harder for me because. Uh, of my personality and I was going through more of a crisis than Justin. Justin is used to, um, he, he has some techniques, right? So he's had to go into hospital so many times. And when he goes into hospital, he can no longer be super useful to the world. And this has put him in uh, sort of the same existential crisis that I was experiencing this spring, but he's gone through it numerous times where you go from being really helpful, doing lots of stuff for other people, you know, doing your job where, you know, for Justin, in his case, he works on climate change. So he's like reducing greenhouse gas emissions and he's, you know, helping out with the refugees and he's doing all sorts of stuff. And then he goes into hospital and he has to like stop doing everything. Um, and so he's developed all sorts of techniques over the years for making that shift and, um, he kind of, um, I mean, he, he, he just, he knows when he needs to do it. I almost, it's almost uh, a religious thing. Like I watch him do it right. When he goes into hospital, I watch him shift and he has to just like cocoon up. Right. It's like, but it's so, but it's not like you're a caterpillar who's becoming going into a cocoon. He's like a butterfly who then has to go into a cocoon and then has to reemerge as a butterfly again. And, and he's had to do that so many times in and out in and out whenever his, his wings are starting to get pretty flexible <laughs> yeah yeah so when we transitioned you know actually for him this was not so bad because compared to going to a hospital I mean a he's not that sick he uh, granted he did get sick about four or five times this year in the last 10 months wow um yeah just like those are his sort of routine illnesses he can get um, he can easily get a bug from anywhere or anything yeah. and then he'll get really sick. So he did have to go into hospital in June for a week. Um, thank God the rates weren't so high then. So it wasn't so scary, but, and it, luckily they, they put him in a single room for a few nights. And then by the time he switched into the a shared room, we, he decided he was, he was good to go. So he, <laughs> he came home probably a little early, but um, but he was too scared he's, to he's not dealing with the same level of um, um, having to really transform himself yeah. with, with this home isolation. He's got you and the kids. He's got his work and that sense yeah. of purpose. Yeah. Um, and I was, un I was largely unemployed because, because what I was doing was just hardcore politicking and activisting like none of which I get paid for so I you know in the spring I was I was doing a lot of work in the community community development work um all voluntary and and um none of that could continue when I went into isolation because it was all about 
building grassroots movements on different topics and issues. And uh, I needed to be out to do that. So I essentially went from, I would say, having unpaid work in the community, which was meaningful to me, uh, to, to not being able to do anything. Um, so yeah, that was really uh, scary for me. And then in the fall, luckily, I was, I was mentally stable enough to apply on a job that I could do from home. And I was successful in that. Um, application and so I have had meaningful work this fall from home and that that really helped a lot because I really needed to feel like I was doing something for the world outside of our little bubble yeah um, but we all yeah. need that we um, I want to circle back to a comment that you made at the beginning of this conversation and then we'll maybe wrap it up there Heather but um, you talked about how when you saw this wave of pandemic coming um, to the west coast of North America and you knew it was going to hit Seattle and you, you thought, okay, well, this, this might come to Alberta. If we're going to lock down, if we're going to keep Justin safe, we've, we can't just have Justin at home. We need to do this together. Yeah. And when you, the moment you said that, it, it occurred to me like, wow, what a powerful statement for how we are as a faith community, how we are as a human community, how we are as a species that we have to realize that we are in this together mm -hmm. and that it's not enough to just say, okay, well, the elderly, we need to protect them. And, mm -hmm. but the rest of us are going to carry on our, our normal life or, yeah. you know, people with comorbidities. Well, that's too bad. All these people died, but you know, they had all these health conditions. Well, that's, <laughs> it doesn't work like that. We, we are all equally human. We're all equally valuable in God's eyes and should be in each other's eyes equal and everyone matters. And we, we have to treat this as something that we're going to get through together. And, yeah. and we can only do that, I think, by, by treating each other with love and caring for the, our most vulnerable. And the, the story, your story as a family is so inspiring to me uh, to see how you've done that and how your love for each other, your your love for your husband, the way you guys are so committed to the well-being of your kids, the way you've just gone to such extreme measures mm -hmm. to get through this, and you're already real, you know, seeing that this you might have to do this for a, a long time yet, um, but you've got that resolve that it's worth it and it's necessary, and it's been very challenging it sounds like but you've uh really grown and are growing and learning and finding ways uh innovating and getting creative and yeah well and if it was just justin he would have done it differently right because he actually doesn't value his life as much as we value it um he might not have gone this the the goal for him in not getting sick is so that our kids don't lose their dad yeah. Because at the end of the day, if we come out of this and they don't have their dad, that's that's the worst case scenario. So it's not really, you know, a lot of people think it's about Justin, but it's really about making sure that those kids have their dad. And so, you know, people have asked us, well, why don't you let the kids stay at their grandparents so they could have a normal life? And and, you know, why don't, <laughs> it's like, well, if the kids are at their grandparents, um, 
you may think there's no impact of that. You may think, oh, it's pretty much the same, right? But it's not. It's not the same for our kids. Like no. our our kids, especially our son, you know, um, he's experienced, he, you know, we adopted him and he's experienced significant loss in his in his little life, significant loss. And I don't know, I don't think he can have that again. I don't think that he can live through that happily. Um, and the fact is the kids are okay. The kids are happy. And if they can make this through with their dad alive, they'll be okay. They'll be okay for a long time. So yeah, it isn't just about individual people. Even when we look at the elderly people that are dying, like it's not just about them. Like my Grammy, you know, she, she's so sweet. Like she doesn't want everybody worrying about her. You know, she's not too worried about herself. Like, you know, she, I mean, she, she's paranoid about, about giving COVID to others. So she doesn't mm. want to get it because mm -hmm. she doesn't want to accidentally hurt anyone. Yeah. So for her, she really is taking precautions out of fear of accidentally giving it to other people. That would be her worst case scenario. Um, but the fact is if, if we lose Grammy, like, her kids will not have been able to see her for the entire last year of her life. You know, yeah. our kids who are already suffering a lot will be so crushed if their great grandma dies while they've been hiding out here and they can't be with her and care for her and hold her hand like we did when my grandpa died, you know? And so there's, you know, they, yes, like you said, it's, it's not about those individual people necessarily. We're all in it together every single person like yes we're in a bubble but occasionally I go for a walk with a friend you know and we wear our masks and we keep two meters apart but those friends are all well aware that if they have if they aren't careful in their personal lives they could accidentally kill Justin through me yeah you know and they're aware of that and they think about that and they're very cautious and they you know, they cancel with me for if they if they have any signs or any symptoms or if they've been around anyone who might have had COVID and they're very careful with us and they have to be. And it is a really big team effort. And um, and even though we feel cut off um, from the world and it is isolating, there are just those little um, interactions of the of the whole that actually make it all more manageable. We have some people at our church who just do little things like my friend, Dick, he's probably in his eighties and he has no kids of his own. And he called me up and he said, I think Jason and Grace are probably going through puberty. <laughs> I, I'm bringing them a puberty book. So he came by and this man, he just took the bus over here with his mask on and he dropped off a book on puberty for my kids because it, it occurred to him that they would be getting to be about that age. <laughs> and you know what? It was true. Grace was so relieved that someone had noticed because this is like her favorite book to read now because yes, it is true, Dick. I am going through puberty and I do need to read this book. And, you know, thank you for noticing. <laughs> and, you know, it's those little things where you feel like you're completely alone, but there's just someone out there thinking about you and it makes yeah. all the difference in the world. And really that helps you get through the, the alone time is yeah. having those little gestures. And it might be something very small, 
someone dropping off a tomato plant, for example. We've had a few a few random tomato drop-offs, and we really appreciated it. It's so um, cool, and it's yeah. so true. It doesn't not it doesn't take much sometimes to just. I mean, what what is what could be bigger than an act that that shows you that you matter yeah. because someone thought of you? What could be more more impactful or bigger than that? Yeah, and the kids to be validated and to be seen and to be thought of. Yeah, more than anything, what they need right now is reminders that there are people out there who remember them, who remember that they exist, um, and who care about them because they're not on social media. They're not getting all yeah. the, you know, they're not getting all the hugs that I get on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. You know, they they don't For have sure. they don't have that same glimpse. Their friends uh, can't just drive over to yell nice things from 10 meters away like mine can right and so mm. they need all those little gestures and things and I think I think fortunately there are people out there who are aware of that and who are who are thoughtful and who are doing that and we certainly saw that on Halloween I don't know about mm. you guys in Basha but we assumed we weren't going to be able to participate in Halloween we just assumed right we we're like no there's no way that people will adapt uh adequately to make this safe so so i said to the kids because i didn't want them to get their hopes up i said look we're gonna dress up my brothers brought and hid candy all throughout the yard we did our own hunt and i said tonight we're gonna go and look at decorations so we're gonna walk down the middle of the street we're gonna look at decorations and if by some chance someone has put candy out in a safe way where we could get it without interacting then we'll grab some uh, so this was, I set the bar super low. I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like please keep your expectations way down. <laughs> <laughs> but lo and behold, as we were doing our, what started out as a, just a very simple walk by, I would say 90% of the houses that were participating had set it up in a way that was safe for our kids. Yeah, with a I table mean, or a tube. It was amazing. The, yeah, they had we, the grab bags for them. Yeah. They had the tables. Yeah, they had they had the shoots. The shoots were so funny, and and they were safe. They were two meters apart. There were no people around. Um, it was amazing. And you know what? My kids ended up giving most of their candy away, anyways, because they um, they uh, we do this switch you can switch it for books or whatever so they did a switch of oh, candy cool. but they just love that they were able to do halloween and that people yeah. so many people in the neighborhood had thought about keeping them safe and letting them still participate and that was really cool to see how widespread um the care was people even one lady who had for she didn't have the creativity to think of what to do she came to her door with the bowl the kids froze and she said, um, she realized the kids didn't want to come within two meters. She looked at them and she desperately wanted to give them candy. And she said, should I just put the bowl down and I'll step back. And then, and then I said, why don't you just throw it at them? <laughs> <laughs> and so she did it kind of pinata style. She just started that she was laughing. Oh, she was laughing. The kids were running around the yard, like trying to find it. And yeah. you know, everybody was like super, awesome that night and they were really just being so thoughtful and it, it I think it really um as much as you want to be annoyed that the rates are going up and you feel like people aren't taking enough care and 
there were moments like Halloween where you're like, wow, our, yeah. our neighbors really care. Everyone is trying. Mm -hmm. It's just some people are trying with more information than others. And mm. a lot of the, a lot of the instances where people are getting sick, I don't think they fully understand how you get sick. Um, they don't recognize there's an airborne component. Our government hasn't done a good enough job of educating people about the airborne component. So they think as long as they're two meters apart, they're safe. But if they're indoors, they're not because it's, there's an airborne component. And so it's not just about the droplets. And, and I think it's that lack of education and the fact that we aren't willing to fully admit that you can get COVID more than two meters apart. <laughs> Mm. You know, that's what's causing, I think, this spike. It's not a lack of concern or care for others. I think it's a lack of understanding of how the virus is traveling. And I think it's a government that was, for many months, unwilling to admit it because it would hurt uh, the economy. Oh, yeah. and, and so there are people intentionally withholding that extremely important information that will ultimately lead to us making better decisions and being more careful with uh, with other people's lives. And, yeah, well, and now you're right it's fairly when, apparent. <laughs> when, when we know better, we can do better, right? And I, I honestly think people do, like yeah. especially in Edmonton. I, I don't know. You see these rates and you think, oh, Edmontonians aren't trying hard enough, but no, they are. I think they just they literally don't have the information they need. They think it's about washing their hands twenty four seven. It's not. It's about not getting not being inside a space with shared air with someone who has COVID regardless. You could be 20 feet away and you can still get it. There's ample research showing that. We're mm. not hearing that in, in Edmonton. We're not hearing that in Alberta because it has implications that our government isn't willing to deal with. It means you have to fund hospitals more so that there's nobody sharing a room. Because if you admit that somebody could give it to somebody else in a shared hospital room, you have to do something about it. Oh, that changes everything. That yeah, changes everything. It means actually really funding healthcare. Um, my friend got COVID in the general hospital. He got it from his roommate. He was more than two meters away from his roommate, and they were wearing masks. But wow. they had shared air, and they had a shared room at the general, and they should never have had people who are in long-term care in shared bedrooms. My great aunt did not get COVID at the general because she has a room to herself. And when we admit that, it has a lot of financial implications that our government is not willing to deal with because it means giving every one of those seniors their own bloody bedroom as they <laughs> should have had for ages. And we have refused to prioritize that as a society. So and that's I think that's that takes... failing. I don't think it's a, on all the individual people. It's not like yeah. they're individual people. I think as a, as a society, we are not funding those areas adequately to ensure safety for those people in a pandemic such as this. But the individual people certainly all do care. It's really heartwarming to hear stories of not just like your family's personal story, but um, in your community, in the city of Edmonton, just all the stories that you've shared that show um, that people do care still <laughs> and mm -hmm. that we're um that we're there for each other right uh, one um, example of that that i'll share with you and then i'll let you go is uh our rising spirit online community um ministry we've created a advent calendar of messages of hope from people in our local community i don't know if you've seen it but if you haven't 
you can check out uh, Rising Spirit Ministry on Facebook, and there's links. There's a, a post pinned at the top of our page with a link to this uh, interactive online advent calendar. So you go through and just like a chocolate calendar, you find the date, click on it, and the little two-minute video pops up. And Elise, our eight-year-old, did uh, did one, and hers was a couple days ago, and it is so cute. So Aww. if nothing else, you have to you have to check out Elise's. I'm um, totally going to do that. Little, <laughs> the idea is it's a mess. It's just a way to start your day with mm. a little inspiration and a message that there's still hope in the world. So if anyone out there is listening that needs that little um, boost of hope in the morning and is struggling, that's one place you can go and and, and get that. Well, I appreciate that because one of the things we usually do every year is I go to this Just One World event. I think you've probably been to it then, but it used to be oh, called Just so. Christmas. And it's called Just One World and all the fair trade vendors around town, direct trade, uh, we all come together and have a big sale for fair and direct trade. And every year I go and 10,000 Villages has their fair trade advent calendars. So my kids have a, a normal, with quotes around it, advent calendar. And I don't have to support, you know, one of the God, God awful, like, uh, you know, child slavery chocolate companies. <laughs> Anyways, so this year, of course, we couldn't have just one world and, and I couldn't figure out how to get our fair trade calendar. So they have been going without their advent calendar and they've been very polite about it and not bothering me. But I would love to be able to replace that with something. <laughs> so I think I'll, I'll uh, introduce them to your calendar and maybe just give them some of their dad's fair trade chocolate on the side while we that sounds like a good deal i think i like that i think all of you guys would like that cool well um i can't thank you enough heather for coming on today and carving out some time um to to share some of your story with me and with our listeners and i hope lots of people um hear this story i know if if they listen uh, people will have been impacted by your sharing and i really appreciate it no, hope you guys continue to stay safe and take such good care of each other. Yeah, well, we're we're not going anywhere. Just kind of hunkered down here. So well, I'm happy to chat anytime. We're we're quite we're quite available. Well, let's keep in touch and uh, yeah, take care. And I hope that Christmas is full of joy and and peace for you guys as you get through this. Thanks, Ben. You too. Take care. And thank you everyone who joined us today and listening. Um, there's lots more episodes of this podcast at risingspiritministry.com or on iTunes. Just search uh, Six Ways from Sunday and uh, maybe share your favorite episode with some friends. And everyone out there, have a great uh, holidays and Christmas and continue to stay safe and take care of your own well-being and mental and spiritual health. And until we catch you next time, take care. Be well.